0: Well, good morning. All right, you guys are getting it, man. I appreciate that. My name is Eric Solomon, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Wheaton Bible Church. Specifically, I'm the campus pastor here at TVC. And alongside our West Chicago and Iglesia de Pueblo campuses, we are part of a community, a familia that is focused on Jesus and dependent on the Holy Spirit to love God, grow together, and reach the world. Amen, TVC? And so we're just so glad that you're joining us this morning, whether you're joining us on campus and online, I want to welcome all of you into this space, because I'm grateful that we're able to worship together, even in this particular season of disconnect, even through the internet, we're able to gather together as God's people and worship Him. I'm also thankful that even in unexpected seasons like this, we can approach an expected season in the church a gospel-shaping rhythm as a church community that our our church family has done for centuries throughout the history of the church. This Wednesday, we actually start the beginning of Lent. It's a 40-day season into church history of waiting and even fasting before Easter. It's a time where the, the church has celebrated by remembering what Jesus has done on the cross, anticipating what he's about to do on the cross. In this season, we take time to focus on our broken world and remember our need for a savior as we look forward to the resurrection hope of Easter. To help us draw closer to God during the season, we as a church community have actually put together a couple resources for us to go through as a family. So one of the things that you can do during this time to just concentrate your time in this season of Lent is a scheduled time of prayer every weekday on Instagram live at noon, where you can pray together as a familia across all of our campuses. You can follow us on Instagram to participate in this. Our, our handle is at Church. Uh, it's just going to be a, a really wonderful time praying together at the same time and using social media in, in a positive way. Amen? The second resource is actually our daily devotionals, which if you've been subscribed, it'll, it'll just switch into this. But if you haven't, I, I would highly encourage you to subscribe because we're actually switching and focusing specifically on Lent during this time. And you can sign up for those devotionals to get them in your inbox at wheatandbible.org newsletter. You can sign up for the TVC information as well, but as well as the daily devotionals. in this season, I I just want to to help you refocus in this 40-day season of waiting. I want us to focus on the gospel, to make this Lent season, and I love the church calendar, to make it a time of, of intimacy with God, a renewal of your relationship with God, and a refocusing, like I said, on the gospel. Now, before I do, I'll, I'll, we pray together in kind of an extended time of prayer, I do want to share a story from our Give Help Get Help ministry. You've heard us talk about it before, but, but I just want to share a story just so you know what it, what it looks like and to encourage you to participate. You see, recently there's this single woman in our church that was planning on moving, but less than a week before she moved, her help wasn't able to actually help her on that day. If you've ever been in that scenario. That gets pretty crazy, right? It's not like you're going to move your entire house by yourself and put it in a truck. She wasn't able to uh, find help. She's scrambling to find help, and she can't really afford a moving company. And one of our pastors actually reached out, knowing all this, to our Get Help, Give Help team. And immediately, right, using a, a gospel of Mark language, immediately, someone from our Get Help, Give Help team, one of our team members, decided, hey, I want to participate in this by financially paying to take care of a moving company for her. And then another person on our team said, you know what, I want to be present with her on the day of her move, and actually helped her, because she was bilingual, or the the member, team member was bilingual, helped her with the moving company and the rental office, was using her time and her skills with language to help this single woman to move. It's stories like that that paints a beautiful picture of community among us, right, TVC? This family of God helping financially, yes, contributing time as well, language skills, it's these acts of kindness that in this moment came together to turn a frustrating obstacle into an experience of blessing for someone that's part of our family. And so it's, it's through your generosity in all these ways. And I mention it every time we even talk about giving. Because giving is not just financial. You give in a bunch of different ways. We are a generous people. We are a people that God has determined. His people will be marked by generosity. That's what scriptures teach it over and over again. And so I want to encourage you. To consider how the Lord is calling you to give of those resources, of your time, of your skills, be it language skills or anything else, of your finances. You can sign up to be part of that Give Help Get, Get Help team on our website, tribalichurch.org help. You can also give financially there, tribalichurch.org give. You can give on your way out. But I want to encourage all of us to, to consider to pray through how the Lord is calling us to participate in community in all of these ways. Amen? With that said, let's take a moment to pray together as God's people. God, we praise you because you truly are king. And and, and calling you king is not just talking about power, but to talk about your goodness, like we've been singing. You are good. You're in control. You are just. You are righteous. You are merciful. You are gracious. You are wise. And we praise you. For all of that and so much more that you have revealed to us in your word. And it's because of who you are that as we remind ourselves of the gospel this morning, we come before you confessing our sins, confessing all the ways in which we have rebelled against you. Whether it's by omission, shrinking back from obedience, or by commission, being tempted. Like James says, being dragged away by our own desires, which leads to sin and eventually to death. We confess all of these ways specifically in our lives to you this morning because of the gospel. Because of who you are. Because of who the gospel reveals you to be. A good king who laid down his life for us. Like we sang, we remember this morning that our hope is only Jesus. It is Jesus who paid the price for our sins. It is because of him that we are free. When we are cowards and when we are faithless, you remain faithful. When we are prideful and we are arrogant and give in to our evil desires, you not only forgive us, but you empower us by your spirit to live in the way you say life should be lived. This morning, would you revive our hope? That our hope be only in Jesus. We also pray for those among us who are struggling in a variety of ways. Would you serve the vulnerable among us through us as a community? Would you love and serve others here through us? Knowing that you have loved and served us. We also pray, Lord, that you would be present with your missionaries that have been sent out by this body, this local body called Wheaton Bible Church. Specifically, we pray for Dave and Ruby Stecka as they retire from their lifelong ministry, serving the deaf community with the gospel. We pray, Lord, even with this unexpected stroke that Ruby had, as she goes through speech and memory rehab, Lord, that you would be with her, that you would minimize the long-term effects of this servant of yours that has served you so faithfully throughout the years. Would you help them as they retire even, as they close this particular chapter of faithfulness to the gospel and enter into a new season of gospel faithfulness? Would you be present with us this morning, with us this week, as we also seek to be faithful to your gospel? We trust you. Our only hope is in you. Like Peter said, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. So we come to you this morning seeking life in your word and among your people by your spirit. Amen. At this time, I'm actually going to invite Pastor Kyle up. For those of you who don't know Kyle, last time he was here at TVC, he actually interviewed one of our missionary partners, Dr. Sam Naman, and for those of you who don't know him even past that, Kyle serves all of our campuses, campuses as the pastor of sending and outreach, right? And I'm, I'm really excited for him to open up God's Word for us because this is what I love about being part of a team that collaborates to serve God's people with God's Word. Different voices, same Bible. Amen, TVC? All right. so we, you know what, I'm just going to, Stop saying all these things that I want to say and just pray that the Lord would use your word. Do you mind if I do that really quick? God, we pray that the words of Kyle's mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts here this morning would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, that we would receive from your word that you would be gracious to us. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Go ahead, brother. Amen. Well, good morning, Tri-Village.
1: It is great to be with you. Uh, good morning to everyone in person, everyone tuning in online. Something we're going to hit that I'm going to hit over and over today is not only the beauty, but the absolute necessity of God's people gathered together. It means something if, or not just if, when hardships, challenges, the world looking on, call it persecution, call it silencing, call it the challenges that come with a new identity in Christ, one of the primary ways Jesus reminds his disciples in our passage today to have heart, to be encouraged, and to know exactly who they are is as his church gathers. So it's great to be gathered in all of the ways that we're gathered here this morning. So as Eric said, my name is Kyle Reschke, and as as Pastor Sending an Outreach, so I oversee all of our missions, global, local outreach at all of our campuses. So I love working with uh, with Melissa and Joel, who have had Tri Village as their home since day one, um, and just seeing what God is doing here in our church family. You know, missionary stories that we could share for days. Uh, I'm just going to mention Dave and Ruby, who who Eric just prayed for faithfully serving, ministering. Actually, people who are deaf and hard of hearing are an unreached people group, labeled as an unreached people group around the world. And this couple, what I love is they've done this for, I think it's been 43 years of service. And I I was asking them a few years ago, and I said, what are you going to do with your retirement? And they said, well, we've got this camper, so all the ministry that we've been doing to equip churches around the world Uh, We still plan to take that around uh, the country and still create content and equip churches. And I go, I said your retirement, not basically continuing all of your incredible ministry all the way through. But it's absolutely incredible to see. And so as we jump in, uh, I just want you to know it's been a wild few months for me since I was last here. Um, Joy and I welcomed our first child, which was great, yeah. So uh, they didn't just ditch out on my preaching when I started. He, the, the guy likes to move, and so uh, when we attend church, Joy and I uh, take turns pacing around the back of whatever uh, worship space we're in. So say hey to him on, on your way out today. He's a really cool little dude. He is in the middle of his four-month sleep regression, which is a real thing. And uh, we are learning all about it. But uh, So we've been in this series for several weeks now. Five hours with the master. Why are these words of Jesus especially important? Why are we spending this time? Well, we're taking this time because when we consider uh, what Jesus is sharing and the context in which he is sharing it, these are the final hours that he has with his closest companions, confidants. And in these last hours, it makes a lot of sense that, okay, there is a summary. This summary is going to be important. They've ministered together for years already. They've been through a lot. They've sat under Jesus' teaching on long walks. And for hours, they have traveled. They've healed. They have not only seen Jesus work miracles, but have been a part of those miracles. And after those years and after all of those hours, Jesus gets this This chance to kind of highlight, to summarize. So it makes sense that these are incredibly important. I've thought about that a lot in these weeks and saying, gosh, in my mind, if I had a final few hours to summarize an incredible many years of ministry and life, uh, what's coming, what God has for his people I think I would certainly choose those words carefully, wouldn't you? when you had that chance? So this morning, uh, we continue and studying uh, Jesus' final words and, and uh, to his disciples before the crucifixion. Now last week, uh, we covered chapter 15 verses one through uh, 17. And here, and even in all our recent weeks, we've presented these I'll call them beauties of being a Christian or beauties of being a Christ follower. We've seen examples of intimacy with Christ. We've explored spiritual fruitfulness and talked about the overflow of that life in Christ. We've talked about a loving association with believers among the family of God. And, and to end the passage last week, immediately following this, Jesus reminds his disciples And says very simply, summarize it all this is my command love each other. But as that particular passage ends and we transition, this command, love each other, is actually kind of ominous. It's Jesus actually saying, love each other. You're really going to need it, it's going to be absolutely vital that you love each other because of what's coming. And so, village, if you would uh, stand with me. One thing we do here in our church family out of reverence for God's word as we read um, is is to stand together. So I'm going to read this whole passage. We are in John chapter 15. I'm going to start in verse 18, and I am going to read all the way through uh, 16, verse 4. That's what we're going to cover today, and it's also up on the screen here. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. You may be seated. So church, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. It's uh, all woven together, right? And um, as I spent a lot of hours in, in, in the last uh, one to two weeks really thinking through, okay, how do we organize this? How do we go about this? There's, there's so much going on. Um, it feels complicated. It's all woven together. Um, I want to address uh, this passage today in three parts. Uh, certainly as he's addressing the disciples, but what I think this means for the church today, or what I see in God's word it means for our church today. So these three parts that we're going to go through uh, today. Part one, know who you are. Number two, know what is coming. And third, know how to face it. And as we go through this, when I I give the word no, I don't mean just this intellectual. I don't mean just in the mind, no. I mean this holistic. So no, experience deeply. Because that is what Jesus is preparing and instructing the disciples in, uh, in this passage today, in his conversation. So first, know who you are. For whatever is coming your way, remember... That what is about to happen, what is going to happen in Jesus' life, he is about to go to death. He's about to be tortured, crucified. He understands that his disciples are looking on, and this is going to rock them. Even after all they've been together, they are about to be rocked. And so if they have anything but the firmest foundations, of who they are, of who they follow, of what's going to happen, they're in trouble. And so Jesus starts by saying, I want you to know who you are. And in verse 19, there's a clear separation here. I'm going to read it again. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So there's this clear separation. Who are you? There's two possible foundations for who you could be. Who the disciples are. He's saying, are you of the world? The kingdom of the world. Is the world your definition? Or... Kind of having that fork in the road again, or are you not of the world? Are you of a different world? Are you of now a different kingdom? It's the question Jesus has to solidify who they actually are. I want to start. Are you of the world? I want to bring this into the present day. If you are of the world, I think there are ways to know so. We find in Scripture that there are so many ways to know so. In our passage today, how would you know if you're of the world? The world would love you as its own. You would feel loved by the world. You would feel comfortable in the world. Status quo. Nothing wrong, nothing to work. To. It's good. The, love, the world would love you as your own. This is a really important fork in the road. It's one that Jesus, several times in this passage, is going to take his disciples through to actually, I, I, I see him firming up their foundations. So what would be some markers of this, okay? Some markers of this might be seeking comfort above all Else, what would be the pursuit of your life? Is it comfort? Is it ease? Like I said, good with the way things are. Let the world do, let everyone around me do what they do. Hashtag you do you, right? Just accept it. Another way is a pursuit. Happiness. I get it. Happiness is this great thing. Is it the ultimate thing? I just want to be happy in life or the pursuit of a heart the pursuit of our hearts whatever that may be these another word for this could be idol career money sex power respect recognition something I see the church and Christians I think incorrectly pursuing cultural or political influence above spiritual influence And so those pursuits in our life, the greatest desires of our heart, the way I always ask this, fill in the blank today. I would truly be fulfilled if. How do you fill in that blank? As a new dad, I put it this way. My son is going to be observing me, already is, a lot in life. And when he's able to communicate more, What he observes in me, would he say, Dad, these are the foundations of your life. These are the things you pursue with who you are. Are you of the world? So Jesus has some strong words and clear corrections in in a few more verses. But here, he's not just saying, hey, The world can be really uh, uh, tempting. It can really suck you in. These things that seem like good things, the happiness, power, respect, recognition, influence, they can be deceptive. But his point here is far more important, and you saw how I highlighted it in that verse. His purpose is reminding them, saying, you are not of the world. He says, you do not belong there. I have chosen you out of this world. So this is Jesus saying, in me, with me, following me, your foundation is not anything other than me. It's new and it is the strongest possible foundation. So as the hate comes, as the challenge comes, don't forget it because you need to know it and live it in the days ahead. I find this fascinating because throughout the New Testament, this is how the letters, almost every book of the New Testament actually starts, is actually reminding the early church, God's people as they gather, of the exact same thing. This is real. This is coming. You need to be reminded. If you want to follow along with me, I'm just going to give a couple of examples, but these are verses I've, I've memorized and I just love. And, and, and Ephesians 1, it's up on the screen also. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Here it is. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Follower of Jesus, this is who you are. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 So similar, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here it is again, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last times. Imperishable. Undefined, chosen, uh, undefiled, sorry, definitely defined. Chosen by Jesus out of the world. So there is this new foundation. It is who you are. Servants of Christ. And actually in the passage last week, 1515, not just servants. Jesus says servants are just about their master's business. You actually are about, but you also know my business, so I call you Friend. And so as beautiful as that is, it comes with a new identity. And that new identity, Jesus is saying here, actually comes with challenges. So first, we had know who you are. Second, know what is coming. Know what is coming. Chosen out of the world, new foundation, loved by Jesus, friends of Jesus. The world will have a very clear response. What is the response of that world going to be? It's a word used five times in the first two verses of our passage today. Hate. Over and over again, Jesus uses a strong, strong word. Hate. Hate. That is intentional. It's not meant to be soft. It is a visceral. It is real. They will hate not only Jesus, but because they hated Jesus, they will hate his followers often. Now, you may have a question here and say, okay, Kyle, hold on. I'm I'm thinking back to the ministry of Jesus. I'm thinking back to to who Jesus was, Jesus' ministry. What, What has he been doing He didn't come and slander, murder, rob, harm, hate. No, what are the things that define these years, this ministry of Jesus on earth? He was known for healing power, for words of truth, for integrity, for the richness of his love. Savior, Messiah, promised one, but alongside all those things, that light that he showed through that healing, truth, integrity, spiritual power, we can forget what that meant, the light that that shone on the world. Earlier in John, Jesus declares that the world hates him because he, through that light, through the light of Jesus being shown, testifies that the world is evil. What do I mean by that? The light of Jesus actually reveals that there is real darkness in the world. And it reveals it in new ways. The healing powers of Jesus actually reveal that the world is ill and in need of a healer. The righteousness of Jesus shows that the world, that we are unrighteous. The truth of Jesus exposes the lies of the world. The salvation of Jesus preaches about and testifies that this world cannot save itself. We can't save ourselves. That he claims to be the Savior of the world, my Savior, your Savior, means that we cannot save ourselves and that actually it's the humbling reality that we are in need of a Savior. So all of this when we read, and Jesus is saying, I came and the world hated me. That's why. The light of Jesus exposes real darkness. Applied just as much then as it does today. Who doesn't like being told that they're wrong? Ill, in need of healing, needs humility, may need to bend a knee. You can raise your hands with me if any of those described you. Okay, good. At home, you can do the same as well. I felt very alone here for a second raising my hand. Oh man, did I totally miss the point of that? No. So there are two responses here that Jesus leaves open what is coming in the world. Except the light, and what the light means, or completely reject it. There's an example I thought of here um, that I want to share, and I know it seems random, but to me, it's this really powerful example of holding on to ourselves, of holding on to any kind of darkness, or freely letting it go for the light. So around the world in places where there are certain types of monkeys. So this is different parts of uh, Asia and Africa and uh, even in in Latin America as well. Uh, So monkeys are hard to catch. People who are trying to trap monkeys find that really hard. Very agile, very quick, tough to do. And so legend holds that actually how to trap a monkey is you will have somebody who will find a fallen down branch... We'll hollow it out, and then in the middle, drill a hole through, uh, through this fallen down piece of wood, through a dead wood. And underneath that hole, we'll place uh, like a treat, like a piece of banana or something else, some kind of treat. And a monkey will come along, and the hole, when it's the right size for the right type of monkey, will reach in and grab this treat. But the issue... Turns out the hand is larger when it's closed than when it's open. And so this monkey will find itself trapped with a big log attached to its arm trying to get the treat, but cannot get the treat out because the only way to get the hand out of the log is to drop it. So these monkeys that would escape in every other way, now the the trappers can come and will throw a net over and will trap And so, we have this choice, and I'm not saying that I think monkeys are actually intellectually exploring it in this way, but the illustration holds. The choice is freedom or this little, one-time, insignificant treat. Over and over and over again, this trap works. Unwilling to let go unwilling to open the hand and let go of that little, tiny, one-time treat. So, when I say rejecting the light, holding on to ourselves, on to the idea that all is fine, on to the concept that I may not have a need of a Savior, or my sin isn't so bad, it's only sin in this area, but I'm all good over here. I'd like Jesus for these useful pieces of His, but not for the whole thing because I'm good over here, is the same thing of holding on to something so insignificant when real freedom is what's facing you. But Jesus is telling his disciples, that is the the fork in the road. That is what Jesus caused. He came and when he says in our passage, now there is not an excuse. I have come. I have healed. I have fulfilled the prophecies. There isn't an excuse anymore for the sin. Those who are holding on are still holding on by their choice. They can let go. And we can't choose both. It's one way or the other. A passage that I thought of, now there's a very famous passage in Scripture. It's like one of the most memorized passages in the Bible. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And it's true, and it's a beautiful verse. Two verses, three verses later, we find when Jesus says, the world hates me or will hate me. He says, this is the verdict, verse 19, 319. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. That's what Jesus is re-firming up in his disciples. Are you in the light or are you choosing So, so much of the world today, people only want the pieces of Jesus. I throw that out for you. What are the pieces you want? The pieces you don't want. But Jesus is saying, it is all or nothing. As I share about Jesus, as I talk about it, how he reveals that need of a savior, of healing, of transformation in our hearts when we're sin, the most common response I receive, I don't know if you've experienced this too, is somebody saying, I don't believe God is that way. I believe in a God of love. Kyle, I believe in a God of love. As if the loving thing to do is just to always agree, is just to always tell someone or the world Uh, that they're doing just fine. There's no need for anything else. A God of love would love in that way. But actually, the light of Jesus that reveals the darkness, a God of love, what would a God of love actually do? A God of love would call out what would harm you. A God of love would call out and show you and tell you what is ultimately going to fail you and disappoint you and lead to a life that is so far from everything and all the beauty that he promises. That is what a God of love would do. He would say, you are being like that little monkey holding on to a treat when there is a great feast Right next to you, all you have to do is let go. Is let go. So we've hit the rest of the world. Interestingly, in our passage today, Jesus is also here talking about the religious. So, so far, we've hit, uh, in, in chapter 15, he's hit like the world looking on. Probably outside of the religious communities, outside of the religious systems, but we get to this interesting piece to start chapter 16. And it's, what's going on here? 16, 1 through 4. Says, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember what I warned you about them, So it's not just the secular world looking on, it's actually the religious world and he's reminding them exactly what's happening to Jesus. The religious rulers of the day are about the ones to say, we don't choose your light. We choose this. We choose our own darkness. We choose the story that we can work for our own salvation. Christ before the religious rulers of his day and the response was to send him to death these leaders knew the scriptures they knew the prophets they knew the expected messiah but through all that showed they actually never knew the messiah god is saying they don't know me because they don't know my father the father who sent me so that's what jesus is getting at in our passage today saying they never knew him they've read his word They've been to the religious services. They check all of the boxes, but apparently that doesn't mean you know the Father. That just means you've done a whole bunch of stuff that seems like you might. Jesus, the Son of God, or the Father who sent him, they never knew. What does that mean for us today? I think it means we can go to church, we can serve. We can give. We can read the Bible. We can go through a whole Christian checklist in our culture. We can do all of those things and yet still miss the God of it all. One of my favorite quotes To me, it's what life in Jesus and the gospel is all about. As somebody who likes checklists, as somebody who likes to know that he's doing the right thing and living in the right way. The life of the disciples, the life of the early church that Jesus is preparing them to launch and send, our life today is not about all the steps we can take to earn God or to earn his love of salvation. It is actually about the infinite number of steps Jesus took to save sinners like me. Know who you are and know what is coming. And actually knowing that we cannot earn Jesus, but what Jesus asks when we receive him, it's not holding on, it's a bended knee and it's receiving his grace, it's receiving his salvation. So know who you are Know what is coming, and lastly, know how to face it. This is cool because Jesus offers a couple ways. First, the verse I I started with, it ended our time last week. This is my command love one another. This is my command love one another. And as he launches in, because the hate of the world is coming your way, because these challenges are coming your way, because um, you cannot face it alone, you have to love each other. And in my study this week, I love this uh, uh, kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Eric, I don't know. Uh, It's not contradiction. Uh, Yeah, maybe, or, you know, we're just going to go with it here. I won't describe it, I'll just say it. Just as you will be loved, or just because you will be hated for Jesus' sake by the world, you are loved by, for Jesus' sake. Just as you will be hated, you are loved. I see in that the gathered body of believers. I see in that the church of Jesus Christ. I see in that the overflow of the, being part of the family of God. God's people, as they gather, is meant to be, in so many ways, a haven, a refuge, a comfort, peaceful, marked by joy for one another, a counter to everything else that comes their way during the world, that when the world can't get along and is fighting, there exists this community that, by all kinds of other markers, shouldn't be able to get along, but is marked, like Pastor Eric was saying earlier, by generosity, by love, by awe-inspiring care for one another. In the early church, this was beautiful. Ethnic barriers were broken down. Economic barriers were broken down. There were rich and poor. There were uh, groups of people who should have been at war with one another. This marked, and the world looked on, and they say, we can't do that. It only seems like there's one group of people who can do it. And Roman emperors for 300 years, the first 300 years of the church, kind of looked on and go, I don't know what to do with that. Except to persecute it or try and destroy it. And that's why in the first 300 years of the church, this this hate from the world that that Jesus was talking about, that did mark how the world, how the, the Roman Empire specifically hated These Christians, the persecutions that came their way. Roman Emperor, after Roman Emperor, persecuted and hated Christians. But here's what I want you to hold on to today also. At that time, we would think, is that a time when the church would shrink? When the threat was death, torture, being thrown into the Colosseums for the games to kill each other for the amusement of the world looking on who hated this Christian sect. Wouldn't it seem like that would be a time that the church would shrink? That it would maybe die out, that it would decline? The absolute opposite happened. The church grew. It grew. And it grew, I want you to hear this, not because of political power, They were the lowest rungs on that pole in the Roman Empire. It grew not because of cultural influence. There was not any. It grew why? Turn with me again in chapter 15 in our passage today, verses 26 and 27. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. It's because the church, the people of God, sought the power of the Spirit. They sought that above every other power. The Holy Spirit testifies. The Holy Spirit testifies with and through God's people. So, how do we face persecution? How do we face hate or confusion or whatever hardship? This is the real power to face the world. The advocate. Jesus always promised this. One governor, a Roman governor, wrote to Caesar early on when Christians were being persecuted saying, I don't know what to do about these Christians. They not only take care of their own sick, they take care of ours as well. And the church was growing. This is the presence of the Spirit, the overflow to the world. So in the body of believers, love for one another was not just a nice thing. It was not an option. Breaking bread together and sharing meals was not just a nice thing. It was not an option. Building community was not an option. Radical generosity was not an option. Comfort, evangelism, testifying, what Jesus means and the transformation that he brings were not an option. They came with it. And so throughout history, this is the pattern. When God's people seek the comfort of any power other than God, the result is comfort and complacency and the fire dies out. And then a revival happens. A revival happens. Why? It happens because they say, we have no influence. We have no political power. We have the power of the Spirit, and that is what we are testifying to. I think my son is agreeing with me in the back. That's good right now. So around the world today, I see this as well, where the church is growing the fastest. North Africa and the Middle East, China, areas of Central Asia, Southeast Asia, are actually the areas where there is the heaviest persecution. The church is growing. Evangelism is just on fire where it is actually not just most uncomfortable, but it is most dangerous to be a follower of. Of Jesus now i 've brought to you a couple of uh, leaders we call them strategic indigenous leaders. There are places of the world with where an American passport may not uh, allow entry or an ability to minister, but God is working in those areas of the world and raising up these leaders, and our whole church family gets to partner with these leaders in mar- remarkable ways and catalyze and just come alongside and pray and support. Um, and, 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 and do this together in every way that we can. And I just want to give you a quick summary, and, and for the sake of time, uh, really summarize here, but our, our indigenous leaders around the world where there is major persecution. In one country, there is a movement of young adults and college students by the hundreds to new faith in Jesus. There are along waterways and other major countries where there are small villages, dozens of house churches being planted every year in a movement led by just a few amazing followers of Christ who God is using. And through digital places where people can't legally be out evangelizing and sharing their stories through uh, digital, there's tens of thousands of people hearing the gospel of Jesus proclaimed. And we just got to take part as a church family over Christmas in the nation of Sudan where being publicly a follower of Jesus has been um, uh, illegal for decades. But under uh, a new leadership, a new uh, regime, the last two years we have supported a Christmas march, which is basically a rally, a parade. There are tens of thousands of uh, uh, pieces of literature and the gospel and conversations being handed out. God is moving in those places. It's because his people and his followers know that evangelism testifying to who God is and what he has done is not an option. It is the natural overflow of the presence of the Spirit, of what Jesus has talked about. So how to face it? One of the reasons I didn't want to spend the whole time today talking about the persecuted church around the world is I think we in the U.S. can get caught in the, wow, we're really thankful. That's not the persecution we may experience here. So glad we can pray and support and be alongside. I don't want that to be the end of it. And it's the reason I didn't go that way. Because this is Jesus' promise to his followers, not just in some places at some times. His followers saying, when I chose you out of the world, you will not be comfortable in the world. That's the reality. No matter what nation you're in, no matter what level of religious freedom you may experience, You are not of the world. You are chosen out of the world. And so as I close, and I know Eric will do it in the benediction and he'll do so so eloquently, but I don't want that to be the end of it because as awesome uh, as it is as a church family, we get to do this as a global body of believers. We get to do this at TVC. And so it's like the words Jesus to his disciples, I have chosen you out of the world. You are sent out to testify The advocate is with you. Every time Jesus does this, he reminds his followers, you are not alone. He does it a little bit later in in John. John 20, 21. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. What does he say before it? My peace I give to you. When he gives the great commission, he goes, go therefore to all nations and teach and baptize. And it's this glorious sending. And what does he say after it? And I am with you until the end of the age. As you face the world, know that the advocate is with you. So Tri-Village, God has us here at Tri-Village. The neighborhoods we live in, the stores and shops we frequent, the places we work, the loved ones and friends God has given us, the people he places in our paths. How to face that opportunity? Know and trust that the Spirit is testifying, like we read today, as we... A body of believers, a family of believers are testifying, witnessing. We want to pray for miracles. We want to see people transformed. We want to see people come to Christ. Step into the uncomfort that that takes. That takes God's people sharing and ministering in partnership with his spirit. Amen? I'll pray for us as I close. Father, thank you so much. And Lord, we do know that your warnings and your preparation is real. But what you have for us, your church, followers of you, those who are chosen out of the world, given the inheritance that is incredible and awe inspiring, God, we are so grateful because you didn't just give us words to prepare, you promised your presence along with it, Father. So, Lord, I know I long to see revival in our communities, in our nation, in the world. Lord, that is your work. And in the midst of it, you have somehow asked your people to be a part of it, to be filled with you and overflowing with you to a world looking on who needs to know who needs your light who needs your transformation who needs your presence and we do too keep us firm and strong on the foundation that we are chosen by you imperishable undefiled forever